Hi, America. Welcome to a new episode of Dan Talks. Today, we're with my college roommate. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me today. Oh, you're so welcome, Josh. Um, you found out you're going to be on the podcast two minutes ago. I sure did, but um, <laughs> you know, I've been a fan for a long time now, uh-huh. and I've just always looked forward to joining you. I think it's, like I said, an honor to be here. Oh, well, it's an honor to have you. This uh, episode is in honor of our Davidson five-year reunion, at which we are not... <laughs> Cat score, cats win. Cat score, cats win. Shout out to all the Davidson alums who are listening. All three. <laughs> Pour some out for Chester and Andrew. We uh-huh. miss y'all. Uh-huh. Shout out to Ann and Carlisle, who are my two that I know are listening. <laughs> um, Josh, what was I like in college? Wow. Um, well, so we've known each other now for going on nine years. Um, and I knew from the day we met that we were bound for a really interesting and close relationship. Um, when you walked in and said that our Belk dorm room was just super, I was smitten and looking for, looked forward to um, a year of navigating college life together. I said super cute. Super cute. Um, tell the story about when uh, I left the room and then your mom said to you, Oh yes, my mom looked at me, and my mom's a choreographer and does musical theater, and... You had set up your whole side of the room and everything, and I came in and like put down my stuff then, and talked about how super cute the room was, and then I left. Mm-hmm. And my mom turned and said, oh, your roommate's gay. <laughs> and I said, I know. We'll have to... <laughs> and in my head I said, we'll have to wait and see if he comes out. Uh-huh. Because I had no indication of that before when... We talked on the phone, or... Mm-hmm. We had connected over the summer, um, I think just once for an extended period of time, um, and then traded some Facebook messages. Do you remember that phone call that I gave you? I remember sitting in my driveway um, in Maryland, and I remember it going pretty smoothly. We talked about running, because we knew we right. were both high school athletes. And, and PRs we, and yours were a lot faster. They were. I looked you up on um, the running websites. Yeah. Um, but that, I mean... Yes, I was probably feeling quite competitive at the time. Um, wanted to make sure I stacked up with the yeah, you did. the roommate competition. We did go on a run together once. Yes, and I was pretty eager um, to run fast. And so I, I think eventually we split up, and it w- was probably not that pleasant for... Oh, yeah. For you, or... It was awkward. Yeah, well, we did it once, and I was like, I'm never doing this. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of my favorite memories from our first year together was when I walked in to our room later at night. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I know this. Um, and the lights were off and you were sitting with your back pushed up against the corner of the room with your blanket kind of wrapped around you. The glow of the computer. Like your face was lit up. Um, and... I looked at you, and I was confused, and I could hear, eventually, like, a quiet sobbing, and, like, one or two, like, fat, glistening tears rolling down your <laughs> cheeks, um, and we, we were, clo- we were getting closer at that point, and so I was concerned, I was like, did something happen, um, and then I say, Dan, uh, what's, what's wrong, and you said, nothing, I'm watching Titanic. <laughs> And I think my jaw dropped, and I was like, oh, wow. You scurried out. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, oh, uh, so, uh, sorry. It's like you were masturbating. I just wanted to, like, It was worse. It. <laughs> it was worse. 
think it was the notebook actually. Okay. Or maybe it was one of those two. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was Titanic. It could have happened more than once too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> they blend together. And we pledged the same fraternity. We sure did. Um, I remember we that. We are brothers. That conversation to as this well. day, brothers for life. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the Delta Gamma chap- Delta Kappa chapter of Phi Gamma Delta. Yes. Um, also known as Fiji AO. <laughs> um, persistence. Um, That's rem- right, persistence. I remember walking in and us looking at each other and being like, I think we need to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was great. I mean, it definitely kept our... It's Insta-friends. Our hall and, like, us yeah. close. Um, and that kind of... I mean, I think back to, like, senior year when it was me, you, Chester, and Andrew living in the same apartment kind of like hosting a lot of the social events and that was the best that was a really fun time that was one of the best periods of my social life Mm -hmm. because staying in was going out Mm -hmm. the party came to you Mm -hmm. remember andrew was across the hall from us yes the next door Mm -hmm. (sighs) and now he's engaged to be married congrats andrew that's andrew and claire and claire can't wait for um August 2020. Gonna be our sister-in-law. <laughs> um, you stayed on campus junior year. I went abroad to Shanghai. I came back. That's where I found myself and came out. I came back and came out to you at the cookout. Sure did. We took a... Cookout is a fast food restaurant in the south. Famous for hand-spun milkshakes and the big double tray. Big, you have to always get a big double tray, <laughs> and chocolate fudge milkshake is what I get. You get, like, banana something. I like chocolate banana, yeah. Ugh. But we took a late-night cookout run, and I think I'd been drinking, so... Um, I must have driven. Very, yeah, you sure did. Um, I remember being excited. I was like, it's, it's happening. Yeah. I remember looking down at my Cajun fries and then being like, well, Josh... Uh, like, there's a I don't know what I said really something about there's been a, I do have a big update since I've because you knew I broke up with Sarah mm-hmm. but you did you pro, did when you found out that I broke up with her did you think oh it's yes. because of that uh huh but the you also detailed some of your exploits in China um, which I think were really liberating for you and just kind of like at cookout at cookout yeah I think that's what took me by surprise more than you coming out it was like. I came out, I've been having fun and doing these things in a foreign country, oh. and now I'm, I'm here. Oh, you were surprised that I did stuff. Well, just the, the quantity and the... Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, The okay. level of detail provided. Okay. Um, <laughs> not because I was necessarily uncomfortable with it, but I think more because... Um, I was like, you know, I was like proud of you, you know. Like, I think yeah. it's it's so hard to really lean into who you are, and well, especially when there's shame built up around it. There's a lot of shame. Mm-hmm. And well, and so then to talk about it is a big step. And so I think since I was talking about it so freely, <laughs> and you talked some about too, like how you had leaned on Julie and some other folks on the yeah. the trip to China as yeah. a a resource. And so I was like also excited to like hear about that. Yeah, and, Julie like, was a saving grace. Mm-hmm. She was transformative person in my life which is great because she ushered me through that period like mm-hmm. when I had to break up with my girlfriend when I had two weeks of thinking I was a bisexual when I finally decided that I was gay mm-hmm. how did came to terms with the fact that I was gay 
how did coming out like shape your experience in China? Like how was that time different because you were able to acknowledge that you were queer? Well, it was uh simultaneously more fun and more secretive. Mm. Because I was having a lot more fun, um, uh, but I also didn't want anybody on the trip to know because I was on a Davidson trip, and I didn't want the news getting back to my girlfriend that I was that I had broken up with her, and then I was having a gay old time in China. Maybe she had found that out, or but I didn't. There weren't too many people on the trip that were friends with them, but I just didn't want it in the Davidson sphere. I wanted to come out to her mm-hmm. and tell her in person. Because I didn't want to break up with her and come out to her over Skype and then have it be one big thing. I just broke up with her over Skype and then uh, we were both on campus before Christmas when we were both back from abroad. And that's when I came out to her. And I came out to her first Mm -hmm. in the whole Davidson sphere besides Julie. Yeah. And just to get both sides, like, shout out to Chester for being present. Stop it. Comforting Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Through that time. That's right. Shout out to everyone involved. That, yeah. <laughs> Chester was like, what the fuck, Dan? He was like kind of mad at me for a while. Like, why? Like, you just like broke up out of the blue. Mm-hmm. But it was, uh, yeah, I had a lot of guilt. That was the thing. I had a lot of guilt about. I just didn't like that I had to involve her in my coming out. That it was mm. about, like, hurting someone else. No, I didn't not like that. Is it possible now? So, obviously, you've been in New York for four years five yeah, years four four total um what was your experience being in shanghai versus new york in terms of the scene and your experience both being a new newly out mm. in shanghai versus more experienced in new york yeah well china i was beautiful they like love white guys and so i was like yeah, some bell power, of the ball some power and privilege there i was be- bell of the ball and then new york it's i'm very much like the, you know Toyota Camry mm-hmm. and <laughs> what was I mean are there it's less culturally accepted probably in, in Shanghai at least publicly well, well yeah it's and silent it's an interesting place it's interesting that I came out there because it's not gay stuff is not talked about at all and like my favorite gay club was a converted bomb shelter and it's all very inconspicuous and it's like not even talked about in Chinese culture which was sort of a comforting way to come out or like experience because mm-hmm. there wasn't a pride parade or a you know any public displays of gayness it was all kept very quiet so it was able to I was able to sequester that part of my like explore that in isolation kind of whereas in New York everyone's gay and no one cares and do you think maybe there's more of a, a scene and culture there that you might not have had access to as a foreigner like you would have needed to be situated there longer in order to become familiar with those channels like, like the guy the gay guys that live there yeah like i wouldn't want to say it's not present it's just maybe harder to find particularly as a visitor i feel like i don't know i think there's a sort of myth that gay there's a gay world that exists somewhere else or whatever it's all sort of intermixed hmm. interesting but i don't know a lot of i'm sure now there are men that live together and are partners and stuff in the big cities in china but i mean it's culturally really just not talked about Mm-hmm. over there yeah well and so it's interesting to map that onto maybe your experience at Davidson 
before you right. how came do you th- out. How do you think I was at being closeted? Um, well, it's complicated because you were you were in a heterosexual relationship, um, so it it seems it seemed and seems inappropriate or taboo to like talk about you how as obviously a, gay I was while I had a girlfriend. Yes, but I was. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> well, and. But it, and it, yeah, because I guess it could imply it's like a little insulting to her. To and to and to that. you, like I don't know, like I don't want to invalidate your experience prior to that coming out time. A good connection to kind of bridge the two topics um, is the impact of your coming out and what that had on Fiji. Um, oh yeah, because as a fraternity, that's oftentimes a very normatively straight even misogynistic space. And I would say that prior to Dan's arrival and coming out in our class, Fiji had a reputation for being somewhat more progressive. Um, That said, we really weren't really inclusive and we did have lots of, a number of examples of like poor party themes um, that I think they're still kind of reckoning with. And the fraternity has changed a lot both before we were there and after, but I think Dan had a, a powerful influence on some of the folks that came after us. Oh, thanks. Because we got gayer. Yeah, tell me about that. Well, I mean, you were there. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're on a podcast, so, like, how did... Yeah, I guess we were both there. Yeah. Tell each other. And I remember as first-year students when we needed to kind of fit into a mold as part of a pledging process, Yeah. Um, they would ask us questions about sexual identity or past experience that you needed yeah, to... That's a nice way of putting it. ...fit into. Right. And, yeah. And then you were... Saying that you liked big dicks was not encouraged. <laughs> <laughs> I think it... Yeah, it certainly would have been shocking. Yeah. Um, and then you were able to rewrite some of those. Yeah, there were times that I was like, okay, so you know how we did this thing when we were freshmen? We can't really do that. Or if we do, we have to do it this way. Because... <laughs> Like, out of these 20 guys, one of them's gay, <laughs> or, like... Or statistics would suggest, like, eight or nine are probably... I mean, everyone's a little gay. But, you know... Yeah. And I, and I noticed, guy, like, before us, above us, there was Cameron, and he was, like, bisexual. Mm-hmm. Any follow-through on that? There were boys and girls all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I feel like it was after I came out to everybody, and I did it at meeting. What was it like at meeting when I... Stood up. Did I stand up? I don't know if I stood up. Well, I was sitting next to you, and like I, I think we had talked about it briefly beforehand, uh-huh. and so I felt really proud. Yeah. Um, and was like just like super engaged and wanted to make sure that like you felt supported. Um, because I know that that's what like on a small steps of progress and being more inclusive looks like. Yeah. Looks like sharing your experience. Yeah. It was nerve wracking, but I knew all the guys were super nice and chill. Mm-hmm. Everyone was really nice after that. And I think just in terms of, of numbers of folks, like, your choices, like, definitely led to a more diverse Fiji in terms of sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, people, I think, felt more comfortable expressing who they were, and um, a number of guys ended up noting that they were somewhere on a yeah. <laughs> non-hetero-homo-binary. Yeah, yeah. When you think about... Here's my question. Here's my next question. Because this is what I'm thinking about. I love how this is turning into you interviewing me. Um, 
when you think about being out of Davidson for five years, yes, um, what are you most proud of um, having accomplished or like discover like self discoveries? Like what what comes to mind? When you think of what you're proud of. Uh, I'm most proud that I have an apartment that I love and it's the only city I want to be in at a place I love to work and that I still feel like there's a ton left that I want to do and that I'm taking steps towards doing it. So I think it feels a lot more full and a lot and a lot more self-directed, obviously. Mm-hmm. It's not like I got my dorm assignment and I got the syllabus and then I did everything that I was told. It's like... I looked at 14 apartments. I've lived in six apartments in New York. I looked at 14 before we got this one. Mm-hmm. I've applied to 97 jobs, worked 12 different jobs, and now I have a good one. Mm-hmm. And I've like been single and sort of with someone and then sort of not and then whatever. And now I've found a relationship that I'm really curious about. And, you know, it's still early, but so, uh, I've been happy with the self-actualization that I've that I've accomplished. It's funny, it doesn't feel like an end at all, obviously, and it's not like I've accomplished something great, but it's I have set myself, my life up in a way that I am uh, satisfied with at the moment. Mm-hmm. And part of being satisfied with it is knowing what else I want and what I'm moving towards. Right, and like I know that um, you bought a house. Right. And I was going to say, like, and we both have a lot of, of privilege, you know. I think we both were able to graduate. Like, like I was able to graduate undergrad debt-free. Me too. I think, like, which is a huge thing. And I think we both... Shout out to the Davidson Fund. That's <laughs> um, what it's called, right? Yeah. We walk on a lot of privilege. But when I hear you talk about that and, like, knowing you, there's been, a lot, like, a, a trend of a theme of, of like, determination or grit. Um, and those first years in New York weren't easy. And I know you stepped away to like reload and then came back to the city. Um, so I think that's really exciting. Um, what's your biggest accomplishment after five years or what do you feel most proud of? Oh goodness. During pride month. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Um, I teach AP human geography, um, at a ninth grade in ninth, four ninth graders, um, at a school that's being founded. So next year we'll have just ninth and 10th graders. So I'm really proud of taking a really diverse set of experiences, living abroad, having lots of different friends, moving cities. Um, my, um, academic work at Davidson, I'm really proud of finding a place to combine all of those different interests and skills and kind of like give try to give them and transfer them to students um and they're so excited to learn about the world around them and helping them do that is really rewarding um and i took some time like teaching a subject that i didn't like as much with fifth grade math in a pretty tough context um i feel like i've kind of turned a corner recently do you feel nervous about the kids and the phones and everything it's nice to hear that they're curious about the world because i feel like there's well maybe I'm just like totally underestimating them mm-hmm. kids but I feel like it's so easy for kids to be numb and desensitized to the world now because it's so easy as an adult and then imagine a kid's mind it's just like oh I don't need to mm-hmm. go outside I can just go on my phone yeah I think it's it is concerning um, a great book is by Gene Twenge it's called iGen and it goes into some detail about 
like it does like a statistical analysis of like trends from generation to generation. And I think it first off is worth noting that it is just like a completely different generation right yes. now. That yes. The kids in school are fundamentally different than we are. In the way they interrelate with each the, the way they relate with each other and amongst each other. Mm-hmm. And they have lived their whole lives in a time when smartphones have existed. And so they've never lived without smartphones the way we did. Um, and so there's a lot of pros to that. I'm kind of summarizing the book right now, to be honest, but there's a lot of pros to that in like teenage pregnancy, drunk driving. Um, some other indicators are weighed down. Okay. So there's, there are like positive, what I would consider positive changes. They're doing less unsafe things that give the dopamine rush or whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the flip side, there's also a lot of statistics that indicate they feel more isolated and a lot of the facets of adulthood, whether it's driving or being out with friends or whatever, those things are happening later in life. Um, and you could argue that's because of suburbanization or... Learning to drive a car is happening later in life? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Like fewer students are getting their license. Oh, wow. You're spending fewer hours outside the home. Going places, doing things. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and you can connect it to like other trends, um, but... Twenge argues it's the the phone that's that's doing that because um, kids are staying at home and connecting with each other um, particularly right now Snapchat and Instagram right. they laugh at me when I tell them I have a Facebook um, because they don't have Facebook anymore wow it's like the MySpace to them mm-hmm. like um, why would I do that mm-hmm. um, and I watch them we don't let them have their phones ever in school mm-hmm. um, which is not always the case and we're quite strict about it um but when they do have their phones, when I see them outside the building, um, A, they always have them. Um, they often have headphones in. Even if they're not playing music, they'll have them like wrapped on their ears or like one ear in or AirPods in. But they interact with them quite socially, oftentimes in person though too. Like they're taking pictures of each other, they're standing next to each other, texting or checking on social media. Mm-hmm. So it's like this odd mix of like disconnected connectedness and I think that tension is going to give them access to the whole world and people of all kinds of different backgrounds but it also has the potential to make them feel really lonely you don't have Instagram I don't I did for a time like a short period of time do you go on Facebook or no I do you do okay I scroll through there's a long often you do now Mm -hmm. because there was a long time that you were off Mm mm-hmm yeah, I find I get on when I'm bored, so like the school year's ended, so now I have more time, and so I got it. Back on. Um, but I mean, and obviously, even Facebook has changed now with the videos on the newsfeed, yeah. so it's kind of like watching TV almost now. Yeah. Um, anyway, to summarize, um, I'm so I am I am worried about the kids, but I also I don't think the the kids aren't all right is a a good stance. I think they'll be okay. And yeah. they'll make it work, but it's going to be different than the way we lived. Yeah. Anything um, you can offer allies for Pride Month about how to be a good ally? Because oh. I think you're good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's touching. Um, I think it takes time. It has taken time. Mm. I have messed up um, and said the wrong thing to people of all kinds of different backgrounds, um, and I. I try really hard to acknowledge my power and privilege as a 
white cisgender heterosexual male um, from a, an able one with um, a stable financial situation. Um, I think listening like is so important and doing it in a engaged way. Um, I think being curious about people's lived experience is really important. I remember spending time hearing about your brothers and your family in Maine, and same thing for other folks that I've grown close to. Um, I think there's an element of like open-mindedness that's necessary, like not being so committed to the idea that the way you were raised or the way you are is the right way, and there's lots of different paths to finding a finding joy and being fulfilled. Um, that's what comes to mind right away. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that your open-mindedness is, I think, what makes it, and your curiosity and how you listen, and mm-hmm. pretty much just being like, okay, yeah, all, all my best uh, straight friends are ones who can hear my story without, uh, like, being shocked or, like, why'd you do that, or, you know. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, wow, I never thought about that, or... Mm-hmm. This sound, and this sounds a bit maybe aggressive, but and, and I know this is kind of a trend even more so now with folks being really active with language around identity politics, but for people to somewhat like know their place. Like it's not my place to respond and judge. And even like facial cues or no, small noises, like yeah. those things matter. Yes. And it's not my place to to judge or to insert myself into your narrative yeah. you and the pope <laughs> what are we to judge that's what the pope said he Did said he? Who, yeah he said who the, he's like a legendary mm-hmm. so who am I, he asked about gay people and he was like who am i to judge he's the pope wow yeah cheers to pride month josh thank you for coming on dan talks <laughs>